Mark chapter number 4, verse number 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, hearken, he says. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came up and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell on among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath an ear, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This morning I'll be preaching on the parable of the sower. Parable of the sower. And so the first point we want to look at here is in verses 1 through 9. Is Jesus tells a cryptic story. Jesus tells a cryptic story. So with this boat as a pulpit, Jesus is teaching the gathered multitude his doctrine. This kind of goes against the popular idea that you preach a, a very slow um, gospel evangelistic sermon on Sunday, and then you preach doctrine maybe on Sunday evening or Wednesday night. Well, Jesus had a big crowd, and Jesus taught doctrine, which is sort of redundant. Doctrine just means instruction or teaching. So Jesus had a big crowd. Everybody's gathered there on the seashore. You could imagine a big Great number of people there. The boat is up high up out of the water, and he stands up there and he's looking down over the people gathered together as close as they can get so they can hear the word of Jesus. And he spoke to these great number of people. And he talked to them in parables. He is telling them a story. Parables have a long history, and people have probably been telling parables as long as people have been talking, telling stories with a point. And that's what a parable is. It's a story that has a point to it. I tell stories sometimes and get halfway through and realize I don't really have a point to it. I'm just, just talking. Well, that's not what Jesus did. He has a point. He has a point to his message. And uh, that'd be a good thing for preachers to remember. Be like Jesus, have a point to what you're saying. Well, he had a point. His parables were meant something. And what it does is it takes something we're familiar with and it sets it beside some concept that we might not be familiar with and compares it. So he takes an everyday uh, situation that everybody's familiar with and then compares it with a, maybe a spiritual application that's hard to wrap our minds around where he's trying to teach. And he says, this spiritual thing is like this real life thing. So everybody knows a little bit about gardening or at least the concept of it, especially the people Jesus is talking to, just regular, ordinary people. And so he tells a story about planting a seed and watching things grow. Aristotle said that a parable 
is distinguished by its power to convince you of something. And so he said a parable has to have a point, but it also has to be there to convince you of what's going on. But not all Jesus' parables are the same and of that form. Sometimes his parables are purposely difficult. And without his instruction, without the Holy Spirit, we just would not understand what he was talking about. In case in point, the parable of the sower. If you've never heard this parable before, and if you don't know what he's talking about, and then all of a sudden Jesus starts talking about this guy planting a garden, this farmer is out sowing seed, and he's throwing seed everywhere, and it's, it's in the thorn bush, and it's on the road, and um, it doesn't get planted, and, and all this kind of stuff. And then he stops and said, you listen to what I have to say, and goes on to something else. We might not fully grasp what he's getting at. It was cryptic, and purposely so. Uh, Jesus could have said the point in a different way had he desired, but he, he purposely spoke in parables. So he's got this great big crowd, and he purposely decides to teach in, this, in the, the form of parables. And he says, hearken. Hey, everybody listen to this. So whenever I say that, what, what, what's going on? Well, you were already listening to me. They were already listening to Jesus. And when I said, hey, everybody listen to this, you kind of perk up and say, oh, he's going to say something I need to pay attention to. And that's what was happening. Jesus said, hearken, listen. That word is used nine times from verse number one down to verse number 20 through the end of this section. Listen, hear, pay attention. This is a very important concept here because it's just repeated over and over in the parable. It's, it gets to the heart of the parable. So Jesus was teaching and he said, hearken, listen to this. I want you to hear it. And then later on we get into the concept of knowing and understanding and perceiving. So he says, I want you to listen to what, I want you to hear this. Hear this story. And so he tells a story, and it's not that hard to understand the story. As far as the story goes, a farmer goes and plants some seed. Some of the seed drops on the side, and birds come along and eat it. Some of the seed falls on stony ground. It sprouts up, but there's not much dirt there, and so it just doesn't make it because there's no deep soil. The sun burns it up. Some seeds drop in the thorns and lose out on the competition. And they bear no fruit. Then the seed that fell on the good ground, the, the toiled or the, the tilled ground, that grew, and not only it grew, but it had fruit. The end. And again, that's a simple story. It doesn't take much farming experience to, to understand uh, what Jesus is talking about in the parable, as far as the story goes. But the question is what's the point? So we understand the story, but what's he setting it beside in order to instruct us? What's the comparison? He tells us to hearken. He tells us to listen closely. So that, that tells us it means something. Surely it means something, but what? Then he closes the story with, He that hath ears, 
Let him hear. Or you better listen to this. You better take heed. If you can, you better hear this. The Lord tells him at the beginning to pay close attention. Then he tells him at the end, you better listen to what I have to say. So imagine being there on the seashore and hearing Jesus say that. What would you think? What would be going through your mind? Well, some people went in one ear and out the other. Some people maybe were looking up at the sun and trying to figure out how much more daylight they had because they were waiting for Jesus to start healing people. Some people were there probably because their wife made them come. Some people were there just because uh, they were came to go fishing and Jesus is out there causing a stir. What are they going to do? Maybe some people heard it and they were putting meaning to it or were lost and had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But if Jesus says, hearken to this, you better listen to this. Tells the story and says, you better listen to this, but then doesn't explain it. And you're sitting there and you don't understand it. What would you do? It's a cryptic story. It's got to have a meaning. It's got to have a purpose. But what is it? Jesus continues his message on the other parables and other doctrines. And that's it. So we got a cryptic story. But starting in verse number 10, we find out there's a providential purpose to this story. There's a providential purpose to the story. And when he was alone, they asked that were about him with the twelve, asked of him the parable. And he said unto him, he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. So the crowds dispersed. Jesus gets out of the boat. People go home. And the twelve are there. And then some other disciples are there. And they come up to Jesus and say, uh, hey, about that parable, about that story about the farmer, um, you told us to listen, and I heard what you said. I mean, I, I get the point, or I get the, the, the story and all, but I don't know what you mean. What's the meaning of that parable? And before Jesus answers that, he tells them why the message was cryptic to start with. He tells them why there was a parable at all and not just Jesus telling them um, the, the point. He did it for a reason. And the story was rather mysterious at this point for a reason because it, had a, it was based upon um, the unveiling of a mystery. He says, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So he's talking to his disciples here and the twelve, not just the twelve, but, but others. And he said, you have been given something. You have been given something precious. You have been given something that few people have. You've been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Well, the mystery of the kingdom, what mystery? 
Well, the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah to come and rule since God had promised it. They've been looking for the king to come. They've been looking for one to come to rule in power and glory. They were waiting for judgment and justice and the domination of their enemies. They were waiting for the exaltation of Israel as a world power and for the king to set up on the throne and dash his enemies with a, a rod of iron and rule and bring righteousness and judgment and peace. They were looking for the king of Israel to come and, and free them from the burden of the Roman Empire. The scripture told them that they were looking for this to come. What's mysterious about it? If you had asked them what was the mystery of the kingdom, you know what they would have said? Well, we just don't know when he's coming. We know that he is coming. We know that he has the promise of coming. We know that he will come and rule. We'll know that he'll come in power. We just don't know when. But the mystery was not the when part. Because it, as we've been seeing in Mark's gospel, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. From the very beginning, he came preaching the kingdom was at hand. John the Baptist preached that the kingdom was at hand. Jesus preached, repent, the kingdom is at hand. And he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The king had come. The mystery was not that when the king would come, or when the kingdom would come, the mystery was uh, knowing the king. The king had already come. The gospel of the kingdom was being preached in their midst. He was there among his people. But he didn't come in a blaze of glory and shining light, but he was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. He was not what the people had expected. He was not even what the people were looking for. And as time goes on in this gospel, you find out that he wasn't what the people wanted. But for those people that were gathered around, it was given them to know the answer to this great mystery. Not so much of when, but who and how. To know him, to know the king, and to enter into the kingdom. So Jesus has marked a division between those who know him those who receive him, those who are in the kingdom, and those who are without. And the difference has nothing to do with citizenship. The difference has nothing to do with what the borders are. And if you're in the border or out of the border, who your family is, if you're in the, the genealogies of this tribe or that tribe. To know and to enter in is to know him. And to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. And it's for those on the outside Jesus speaks the parables. That's why Jesus speaks the stories. It's for them who are on the outside. Jesus didn't do like Aristotle said to, to make it plain and convinced. He did the opposite to conceal. He said, I speak in parables so they'll hear and not hear, and see and not see. <clears throat> Seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins be forgiven. Purposely cryptic. And this comes from Isaiah chapter number 6, Jesus is quoting. 
So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. In the first verse of Isaiah 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will I go for us? Then he said, Here, then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the angels declaring his holiness, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah looked at himself and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm undone. I'm dead. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen the king. And I'm unworthy to be in your presence. Well, the angel comes and, and puts that hot coal on his mouth and it he said that his sins had been taken away, been purged, been forgiven of his sins. And now he can go forth and preach unto the people and to Israel. Well, what would he preach? Well, he'd preach the truth. He'd preach um, the, the gospel. He'd preach that there was salvation in the Lord, that the king would come. How many times have we already quoted um, Isaiah um, that Mark has quoted Isaiah, rather. Um, and, and all these references to the coming Messiah and to judgment and, and to the king. And he said, you're going to go and speak to them of the judgment that will come. But you're going to go and they're, not, they're going to hear, but they're not going to perceive it. They're not going to understand. And you're going to show and they're not going to see it. And they're going to, they're going to be sluggish and slow lest they hear and believe. And that was... Isaiah, you're going to go out and your message is going to be rejected. Jesus quotes this, and I think this anticipates the true greater prophet, the one Moses said would come, the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses said this great prophet's going to come and you better listen to him. You listen to me, but there's a prophet greater than me that's going to come and you better listen to him. And, and Isaiah prefigures not one coming that has his sins purged, 
sent by the king, but the king himself, God incarnate, would come and teach the people. And he would speak. Isaiah spake the words of God, but here's the king speaking himself, and they would not hear. They would see miracles, but they would not perceive what was going on. The kingdom of God would come, and they would not see it. The people of God had been warned. If you're still over there, uh, look over in uh, Ezekiel chapter number 12. Verse number two. Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not, They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, thou son of man, prepare thee stuff for removing to remove by day in their sight, and thou shalt remove from my place to another in their sight. It may be uh, they will consider, though they be a rebellious house. And over in chapter 17, verse number 2, Ezekiel goes and it says in verse 2, Son of man, put forth a riddle and speak a parable unto the house of Israel. So he speaks in riddles and parables to the house of Israel. And what do we find in chapter 20 and verse 49? And say, Ah, Lord God, they say of me that they not speak in parables. We don't understand what you're saying. Isaiah speaks and God says you're going to speak and they're not going to listen to you God sends Ezekiel he said they're going to speak and they're not going to hear you in the early chapters of Ezekiel he told them I could send you anywhere else in the world and they would listen to you but I'm going to send you to Israel and they're not going to hear you it all anticipated Christ who would come who would speak God's own dear son would come and speak In Israel, that rebellious house would not hear. They would not understand. He spoke in riddles. Not riddles, he spoke in parables. And the people said, this is just riddles. We don't understand what what you're saying. The people have been warned and warned and warned. And whenever Jesus comes and heals and casts out demons and speaks with authority... And then he speaks in parables. What do they do? They just, they don't, it doesn't bother them that they don't understand. It doesn't phase them that they hear and it just ricochets off their heart. Now the parable might be hard to understand, but this section here is kind of hard to swallow. There are some on the inside who have ears to hear and some on the outside who don't that those who hear and understand do so by the grace of God, and those who don't hear and don't understand do so by the sovereignty of God. Jesus said it's imperable, so they won't hear and understand, and so they won't. It's a judgment upon them that they wouldn't hear and understand and believe. It was the Lord God Almighty, and by his loving, sovereign grace, that any have come to be given the mystery of the kingdom of God and given understanding. 
He's chosen to conceal it from others lest they hear. So perceiving, understanding, conversion all comes by God's grace, not the intellect, not moral superiority, not even nationality. The king of Israel had come and native-born and bred Jewish people were not able to comprehend and understand the message apart from God's grace. And this is what Paul goes into in Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. This is why he tells the the Jewish people themselves at the end, the last chapter of the book of Acts. It's not that the kingdom mystery was too complex to understand, but it came invisibly and had to be revealed by God. And so, well, that, well, that's that's not fair. That's not right. It was given unto these people to understand the mystery. the The whole fact that Jesus had come was to save sinners by grace. Now consider this for a moment. Who was there among the Lord right now in this part of the this, this story? Everybody on that seaside heard this parable. They all heard it. And most of them went home after. But then there were some people that stuck around because they said, I heard that, but I don't understand. Jesus called them to hearken. He said, you better listen to me. You better pay attention. And these people did. They knew there was something there and they missed it. They didn't get the point, so they came to Jesus. So even them on the inside didn't understand. But those on the outside who were blind and heard and didn't perceive and saw and, and didn't understand, they didn't care. If they did or not, did they? Their heart was hardened. It's not that there was a great throng of people there begging Jesus, please interpret the parable. Please, Lord, interpret the parable. No, they went home because they didn't care. It didn't bother them. They didn't even, they were so dead in their sins, it didn't even cross their mind to ask Jesus. But it was by God's grace that these disciples came to Jesus and asked him about the parable. It was God's grace that he gave life and light to his people that they might hear. And it's by God's sovereignty that those who would not come would understand and come to him and have their sin and be forgiven. This is the sovereignty of God and salvation. And those who had their eyes open to their, their sins and, and to, to hear and to perceive, came to Christ for understanding. He said in verse 13, Know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Those who didn't have ears to hear also didn't have hearts to care. They went home and forgot about it. It didn't matter either way. The Lord gave grace to these disciples to come to Christ for understanding. Everybody was in the dark. Even those people on the inside didn't understand the parable. Nobody understood it. But these people received God's grace and they came to Christ for understanding. They came to Christ for more light. They desired to know the words of Christ and they desired to understand them. Even those in the kingdom needed Jesus to expound it for them. The disciples were in the dark like everybody else. 
As, as one man said, part of faithful listening is asking the, the right questions. Whenever you don't understand, and Jesus uh, said something, and they wanted to understand and were not afraid of admitting. So the purpose of the parable was to conceal and to reveal, to, con- to reveal to God's elect, to conceal from those who were not. Well, now we get to verse 14, which is the point in the parable. So we, now we have a parable explained. Here's the point. Here's the key that makes the connection. It's like a cipher. If you've ever done cipher codes, um, maybe mess around with them when you were a kid and wrote ciphers to, to your friends. You have to have a key that unlocks it so you can understand it. Some codes are very simple to, to figure out once you have the key, but if you don't have the key, it's just gibberish. Well, we know what the story, we know what the, the story itself is. We know about farming and seeds and all that kind of stuff. But we, what we need to know is how, what it's connecting to, that cipher, that key to, to encrypt the, the message. Well, Jesus unlocks it for the disciples. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. Jesus said, you ought to know this. And I think they could have known. Jesus was just amazed that they couldn't understand the parable. But when we see what Jesus does and how he uses Old Testament references and allusions, we can begin to follow his pattern and understand the parables by God's grace. The sower is the word. Okay, now we can start to, to orient this. Okay, the guy scattering the seed, that seed is the word of God. And the seed fell four different places. It fell on the wayside, it fell on stony ground, it fell among the thorns, and it fell on good ground. And it had four different results. There are four different types of people. Well, these people on the inside or the outside, are they believers or non-believers? Well, these grounds are the ones, are these grounds the ones who hearkened or those who didn't? Actually, Jesus doesn't specify, and I think this is for all people, including us. I think it's a warning to all people about listening to God's word. So I'm not going to say this is just for lost people. And I'm not going to say that it's excluded to us or excluded to saved people. It's a warning to hearken, to listen to the words of Jesus. So Mark 4.4 tells us that he sowed and some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Well, verse 15 tells us These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So in this parable, the seed is the word of God. Satan is the birds. The word was sown in the heart. But as soon as it was heard, the devil comes along, snatches it up, and the word is gone. The devil doesn't want you to hear the word of God this morning. The devil doesn't want you to listen to Jesus. He doesn't want you to consider what Jesus has to say. The word of God is preached and your mind wanders. The word of God is preached and it goes in one ear and out the other or bounces off uh, the heart and it never enters in. You hear the word of God five minutes later, you never think about it again. 
It's as if it was never there to start with. It never gets down in the heart. The devil doesn't want you to hear the word of God. He'll be content. Now, the devil would be happy if everybody came to church, heard the word, but didn't pay any attention to it. And everybody would leave. Well, I went to church. I did what I was supposed to. If you don't listen to Jesus, well, you're like, you're like the ground that didn't take the, take the word to heart. Well, the next section, some step fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of the earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 16 tells us these are like likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so they endure for a time afterward. When affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. These are people who hear the word of God and they hear it with gladness. They shout amen or think amen at least when they hear the word. They receive it with gladness. They rejoice in the truth. But there is no root. The dirt's too shallow. It's just enough to take off, but not enough to endure. And so they hear the messages and they rejoice in the truth, but it doesn't get down in the heart. And when trouble comes along, when afflictions happen, when persecution for the word's sake comes down the pike, they get offended, they're scandalized, and they fall away. How many, you'll see coming soon, when Christians are persecuted, truly persecuted, uh, for not bowing down to the idols of, of this country, and it'll cost, it'll cost you something. How shallow the theology is, how shallow the doctrine, how shallow the understanding, because it's easy to go along in the good time, but if it has no root, if it's only superficial, when affliction comes, it's easy just to cast the word aside and to make excuses. And a shallow understanding of Scripture and a superficial acknowledgement of the truth is not enough to keep you rooted when the tr trouble comes along. You'll be scorched by the enmity of this world. And Jesus said, some people hear it like that. They hear it and they know it, but they don't, it doesn't get down in their heart. They don't meditate on it. They don't make it theirs. And so when the sun comes up and scorches them and problems come along, there's nothing there for it to root. And they, they fall away. The next ground, verse 7 tells us some in the story, some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. Jesus tells us in verse 18, these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So these are people that hear the word of God, but there's too much in the ground already. You know, a plant needs soil, and it needs room, it needs sunlight. It needs rain. It needs the nutrients from the soil. 
And if there's too much competition, a seed won't grow or bear fruit. You don't go in the middle of the woods and plant your garden, do you? You go in the middle of the woods and find a briar patch and plant your tomatoes in the shade of a big, uh, the big uh, forest and in the briar patches? Well, why wouldn't you do that? And so that's crazy. It would never grow. They don't have any sunlight. There's already too much stuff there, and the, the thorns will take all the, the water and all the nutrients from the ground, and you're going to plant it, and nothing's ever going to happen. Well, Jesus said people who have so much care of this world in their heart, the seed is sown on, maybe the seed is sown on Sunday. Oh, it's a good message, but by mo- Monday morning, they're grinding it out, and they got the cares of this world, eating them up. Their heart is concerned about money and possessions and things of this life that don't make a difference. And they don't put it in the proper perspective like we've been studying on Wednesday night in Ecclesiastes that, that there's nothing wrong with doing your responsibilities, but when that becomes the primary thing, then guess what gets ate up? The Word of God. You can't serve two masters. And the world chokes out the word of God. Too much competition in the heart and it's not received. The fourth thing that fell on the good ground, it yielded fruit and it gave the increase. Some 30, 60, and 100 fold. That seed's grown on the good ground. Verse 20, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit. The seed that's sown on the good ground, those people hear the word, they receive it, and the word does their work in their lives and they bring forth fruit. See, the kingdom message is spreading, but not everybody's believing it. Most people don't even understand it. In the previous chapter, Jesus' family thought Jesus had lost his mind. The scribes accused him of devilry. The Pharisees thought he was a lawbreaker. Other people just thought he was a healer. And Jesus said, it's unto you to have this mystery. You disciples, to know this truth. Hearken. Who are you going to hearken to? You need to not only hear this truth, but it needs to get down deep in your heart to live by this truth, to die by this truth, this truth of the gospel. The king has come. His message is being preached and by grace it's received. Some of the multitude heard and said, this is very fine religious stuff, I'm sure. Maybe somebody came home from the seashore. Where'd you go today? Oh, I was out listening to Jesus. What was it about? Oh, a very fine message on farming. He gave a very fine talk about farming. It's very nice. Oh, well, that sounds, that sounds good. They missed it. You know, for some who don't know Christ, all the sermons are saying something or another about God, something or another about good and bad, something or another about the Bible, and then something or another about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. He lived under the law and kept it perfectly. He offered himself as a sin sacrifice. He died for our sins and rose again. And by faith you receive salvation and everlasting life. King Jesus didn't come all those years ago just to topple the Roman Empire. 
He came in his kingdom to save his people and to topple Satan and defeat death and grant everlasting life to all those who repent and come to Christ by faith for salvation. Now, do you believe that this morning? Do you know about, do you know, you look at your watch and say, well, he's almost done with his message. I don't know, you might have already mentally checked out because it's getting close to the end. Is the seed of God's word going to fall on the ground and just be left there? Is this word of eternal life that the devil so death, so would like nothing more than for you not to grab hold of and receive it? Is this going to be lost? Do you rejoice in the truth of the gospel? This is what you want to hear. But will you meditate on this truth? Will you pray about it? Will you think about it more? Will you read about it and consider how this applies to you? Or will this be the last time you think about the gospel this week? This is the last time you think about what Christ has done for you this week and, and the sins that you have committed and how you've been washed clean and how he's given you everlasting life? Well, what are you going to do when your friends laugh at you for believing the mystery of the kingdom or a teacher mocks Christ? Will the word be rooted in your heart or will you be burnt up in the heat of persecution? Is your heart so full of the world this morning that even though you hear what I'm saying and you agree with what I'm saying and you love what I'm saying, it won't matter because there's too much on your mind? There's too much passions for material things that you don't have time for the word. You don't have time for Christ. Will the word be choked out by the world? When other things are more important than Christ, You have an explanation for fruitlessness. You'll not gain an assurance. You become worldly minded and you see less and less joy and less peace and go harder and harder in your heart, less concerned for godliness. You go out to master and conquer the world, but you'll be a slave to those things because that'll choke out the word. But it's the good ground. The till ground broken up by the Spirit of God where we see the Word is planted and takes root and grows. It's the good ground where the Word of God grows and produces fruit. You say, oh, I desire that. Well, what did these people do? The people that heard that and say, I, I, I want to know what this means. They came to Jesus. Do you hear that this morning? Say, I want, I want the good ground. I want to produce fruit. I don't want the word to be choked out. I don't want to be burnt up in the sun. I don't want the devil to snatch it. Well, what do you do? You do like the disciples did here and you come to Jesus. You come to him and desire understanding, desire to grow, desire to worship him, desire to love him. And then that's because that's the, the key to this. The key is not some um, thing that I can give you. It's coming to Jesus. The Lord tells them why some people don't believe. He tells them why the word has different results. He tells them to listen to him, hearken unto him. Come to Jesus and he'll teach you. Come to Jesus and he'll guide you. Come to Jesus and he'll grow you. Come to Jesus, he'll sanctify you. He'll produce that fruit in you. He'll till up the ground. He'll use the word to break up the stony ground. The word's like a hammer. He'll break up the ground. He'll till the ground. He'll plant the seed. He'll cause it to grow. 
Paul said in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. This is a prayer he had for him, and it's my prayer for us all this morning. That you be rooted and grounded in love. You may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ with which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. May the Lord add the blessing to his word as only he can. Let's stand and be dismissed in